Okay. Go ahead and find a comfortable seat. We'll get started here. All right. Again, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant with uh, my wife, Ebony, and an incredible, amazing group of people. Uh, stoked to be here with you guys tonight. I'm fighting this cold, so bear with me. I'm going to try to not hack anything up while uh, you're talking. Emily and Matt are in trouble because there's going to be like mucus flying at you guys. I apologize in advance. <laughs> yeah. So we are, gosh, I think this is week, I don't even have it in my notes. I think this is week five in our series going through Galatians. And we're going through this series because the book of Galatians is unapologetically gnarly about the gospel. Like it is the most important thing, it is the foundation of the Christian faith. We never move on from it. We never add to it. As we're laying a foundation as a church plant, that's what we are all about. We want to be all about the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news that God took on flesh and came and lived the perfect life that we never could in our place and then died the death that we deserve on the cross to pay the debt of our sin and then rose again, proving his triumphant victory over sin and death. And then he gets, he credits us that righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. Grace and the gospel, grace alone, is, it's the most important thing for us as a church. So that's what we're doing. Um, before I jump into the scriptures, I want you to think back, uh, for some, those of you guys that, um, Jax isn't in high school yet, but the rest of you, think about the clothes that you wore in high school. I'm serious. Like, try to like maybe think back of like a picture that you have in your mind of an outfit that you wore. I'm seeing a lot of like grimaced faces right now. So you're like me, where you just go, "Oh, what was I thinking?" But think about what you wore in high school, and think about like the crew that you hung out with in high school, and, and, and whether or not they wore similar clothes, a similar kind of uniform. It's interesting when I was in when I was in uh, I was thinking about when I was in high school, and. Uh, I, I, I was a musician, so I was like, my identity was totally wrapped up in being a wannabe rock star, and I would go to these shows, I would go to like concerts, and I would spend all my money on like band t-shirts, and like, like the whole, like, you ever been to Hot Topic, how they have that wall of like band t-shirts? Like that was my closet. <clears throat> it was ridiculous. It was like jeans and a band t-shirt and like Vans, um, and that's what I wore for like high school, and I hung out with my musician friends, and we thought we were cooler than everybody, and it was pretty ridiculous, but... What about you? What did you wear? I can remember, like, the football players, they would show up on every Friday, they'd have their jersey on, you know, and then they'd be rocking it. And you'd have, like, the ROTC crew, and they would be, you know, in their uniforms, walking in their kind of clique and their crew. And you had, like, the skater kids, and they had the big baggy clothes, and they always looked like they were, you know, stoned on something, didn't want to be in class, but, man, they were, like, gifted on their skateboards, I could never do anything like that. What did you wear? Like, think about your uniform. And think about how your uniform's changed. Like, I think about, like, people, if you're in business, you have your your slacks, you have your collared shirt, you have your uniform for business. If you're a contractor, you have your work clothes. Like, it kind of, it's funny how our uniform kind of changes with the different seasons of life that we are in. It, It helps identify you. Today, as we're going through, we're going to finish up chapter 3 in Galatians and jump into chapter 4 a little bit too, but we're going to talk about the uniform that a Christian wears and how that uniform actually has power. 
has power to unite us both to God and to each other. It's a really, really powerful thing. So what I'm going to do is if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Galatians chapter 3. And before we jump into the scriptures, I'm going to pray for us. Will you join me in prayer? Um, Father, thank you for your grace again. Um, Spirit, would you please fill me right now? I really want to honor my friends. Um, I want to honor you. I don't want to say anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in our lives tonight, the ways that you want to shed light on. um, Maybe I think you want to shed light on some sin tonight so that we can really enjoy your forgiveness and grace um, and kind of get rid of some shame. But I also think you want to encourage us. I know you want to encourage us tonight, Holy Spirit, with the love of the Father for us, that it's personal. So God, I pray that you really would um, open our ears, every ear in this room, every eye in this room, that we might see you more clearly. I love you so much, God. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Okay, so Galatians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 26, and we're going to go through chapter 4 to verse 7. Verse 26 in chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It says you are all sons, okay? It doesn't say you will be a son. It doesn't say if you clean yourself up, you'll be a son. It says you are a son. He's talking about this idea of an heir, We've talked about this idea, this idea of this concept of sonship, okay? We're not talking about gender. We're not talking about male versus female, son versus daughter. We're talking about being an uh, an heir, inheriting something from God the Father, okay? So what's that inheritance? We're going to keep reading. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Okay, so he says there's, this, there's an inheritance, okay? And the word there, uh, put on, in Greek, it actually means to clothe or to like dress. So it literally is this picture of putting something on like you'd put on clothes or you'd put on dress. This inheritance that he's talking about, the Apostle Paul is talking about, it's a uniform, okay? It's a, the uniform that the Christian wears is what he's saying. It's Jesus himself. He put on Jesus like clothes, Okay, not like Hannibal Lecter, but literally the the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We wear it like clothes. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Man, this is beautiful. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise Verse 1 here in chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Okay, when it talks about slavery here, it's not talking about slavery as we know it in America. Okay, the Bible does not condone people as property. Very different concept here. It's, it's very similar to like indentured servants. Like if you had debt, you would literally sign up to work for someone to pay off your debt. Okay, so if you, have, like, if you have credit card debt, you'd literally be like, okay, I'm going to call up Chase or Wells Fargo or American Express and go, I have this debt, and you're going to work to pay it off. Okay, so it's not like your property. That's not what he's getting at here at all. Okay, it's very different. God hates the idea of oppressing people, owning them as property. That is not biblical, okay? <clears throat> what Paul's doing here is he's comparing slavery to being an heir to an inheritance before it's actually handed over. 
okay? Let's keep reading verse three. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, again, heirs. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba means like daddy, dear daddy. It's very affectionate. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, there's so much stuff in this passage. Today, I'm gonna focus on three things, okay? For the rest of our time, we're gonna talk about the beauty of baptism. We're gonna talk about the only hope for unity. And we're gonna talk about the sending God, okay? The beauty of baptism, the only hope for unity, and the sending God. Let's talk about the beauty of baptism. Look back at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay, let's talk about baptism. This might be a review for a lot of you, but I think it's really important, okay? Baptism is a symbol, okay? It's a symbol of brand new life, okay? Literally, like the word means, I think it's, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna butcher it. The, The word literally means to be like dunked underwater, okay? Baptism means to be dunked underwater, And what it is, it's a symbol of just as Jesus was crucified and died, laid into a tomb and then rose to life, baptism is a symbol that is very similar in that the old me goes under the water and dies with Christ. And the new me, the new creation that doesn't live for myself anymore, that lives for the glory of God, the new me that's that's born, that's new creation, rises out of the water. So it's basically like the old Tom is dead. The guy who lived for himself, the selfish guy, the self-centered guy, although I still struggle with sin, but that guy, that sin-natured guy, he died. He, he was crucified with Christ, if that makes sense, and he raises to life. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol of new life, okay? The old me is dead. Now I'm a new creation. I want to do different things. I, I live for a different purpose. I wear a new uniform. Are you following me? Okay, what else is, a, what else is uh, baptism? Baptism is a ceremony. It's a ceremony a lot like a wedding, okay? What happens in a wedding? You have a husband and a wife, and what do they do? They publicly declare their devotion to each other. I love weddings. It always, every time I go to a wedding, I, I probably will cry at a wedding. Um, <clears throat> Ryan and Kendi are getting married in April, right? and I'm probably going to cry at their wedding, but it's okay. I love weddings, and the reason I love weddings so much is because it reminds me of the beauty of my relationship with God. It's an amazing thing. Baptism is very similar. It's a ceremony where you have, a, where, like in a wedding, where you'd have a husband and wife declare their public love for each other, devotion. Baptism is, is when a Christian publicly declares his or her devotion to God. It's beautiful. It's important. And just like a wedding, what happens in a wedding? You have a new family that's formed, right? If you're married, you know what this is like. You and your spouse get, um, get married, and now you have like, your household and your family, and it's a, it's, a cool new, uh, it's a cool new chapter, a cool new season. In the same way with baptism, a new family is formed in baptism. You are publicly joining a new family, the family of God. God's our Father. The church is filled with brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, <clears throat> so a symbol, a ceremony, and it's also an act of faith. 
Baptism is an act of faith. Faith is, is trusting in God. We've talked about this. Okay, trusting in God. It's an act of faith. Um, I remember um, Pop had this, uh, he had this like, I guess it was kind of an award in his office slash music room at the house I grew up in. And it was this baseball. It was like a, think like almost like a trophy, but I don't even know how to describe what it was. It had this baseball and then underneath it, it was written. It said risk. And then it said, you can't steal second while keeping your foot on first. And I remember that, that, that stuck with me. And it's this idea, the reason this, I'm bringing this up with baptism, it's this idea of being baptized is saying that the old me is dead, like I've left him behind, okay? It's, I'm not like kind of dipping back in and kind of like, oh yeah, like I still kind of want to live this life and I want to do these things and I want to like, no, I kind of want to live my own life and Jesus, I know you're, you're Lord, but I want to be Lord in this area, not, I don't want to give you lordship over every area, I'm kind of tiptoeing. No, 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 in the same way you can't steal second base while keeping your foot on first, this idea of new life, the new creation. You're, you're in an act of faith and trust. You're going, I'm putting my trust in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. I'm clinging to that. I'm not clinging to, my, to, to religion. I'm not clinging to my performance. I'm not clinging to the good things I do or the bad things I do or the things that I don't do that I wish I would do. All that's gone. It's like, no, 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 I've left that person behind. I'm clinging to Jesus and I'm a new creation. Are you tracking with me? Okay. <clears throat> My trust is no longer in me, it's in Jesus. <clears throat> so baptism is an act of trusting in God and claiming new life in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's talk about what baptism is not. Um, baptism is not something we do to get right with God. It doesn't earn you points. It's not like your scoreboard tally goes up. Baptism is a public display that Jesus has made you right with God, not that you're going to like do something like baptism to make yourself right with God. Okay, you're going, no, Jesus has already done it. Like he's made me right. It's saying on my own, I can't get right with God. I'm too far gone. I've sinned against him and rejected him. But Jesus accomplished that for me. Okay, baptism doesn't earn you favor. Um, I remember uh, there was one time I saw a, a big public baptism and there was a bunch of people, and they had like, you know, the little spa-looking thing that people get baptized in, if you've ever seen them. Uh, they're actually really convenient and great. <clears throat> but they were using that, and I love watching people get baptized. And this guy gets up there, and they give him a microphone, and they go, hey, like, you know, tell us your name. And he says his name, and then they say, they ask him, um, they ask him, why are you getting baptized? And he goes, um, he goes, my mom got diagnosed with cancer, and I want God to heal her. <clears throat> and like that hurts. It's like, oh man, his, he wants his mom to get healed from cancer. That's a painful thing. That's a, that's a terrible thing. But the, what, what kind of bothered me more than anything was like, that's not what baptism is. Like, let's go, let's all just like fast and pray for your mom to get healed. But baptism's not the way to see your mom get healed. It doesn't earn you points. It doesn't earn favor with God. It's saying, God, God already gave me great favor by living for me and dying for me. It's saying that the old me who tried to earn God's favor by doing things like that is dead. And the new me just receives God's grace. But you follow me with this. Baptism doesn't earn you points. It's not going to earn you favor. It's not moving from like JV Christian to varsity Christian either. Okay? Baptism, listen to me, baptism is for anyone whose faith and trust is in Jesus. 
Anybody who, go, who genuinely is like, I'm putting my trust in Jesus, not in my performance. I believe that what he did on the cross was for me. I believe that when he raised to life, he credited me with his righteousness. I trust in that. You, you can be, you can, honestly, every single uh, conversion story in the Bible is instantly associated with baptism. That they go hand in hand. So don't, you don't have to be this like, Man, like the JV to varsity Christian thing, no, that's bogus. If you've received God's grace, you're ready to be baptized. It means you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till you're good enough, till you're smart enough, till you're ready enough. If you believe the gospel, if the old you is dead and the new you follows Jesus, you're ready. And I would just like to say this, if you have been baptized, we would be so incredibly thrilled to baptize you. You can talk to me about this. Um, we'd love, love, love to baptize you, okay? Uh, baptism really matters. It really matters. We celebrate it big time. Like the first baptisms we have and then every baptism after that, we are gonna party hard, okay? It's a celebration. Why? Why does it matter? Because it's new life. Like it's the most important thing. It's celebrating someone's salvation. Baptism doesn't save them. Only the blood of Jesus saves them, but we are taking intentional time to celebrate what God has done in this person's life that's resulted in new life, a new creation. Okay, we would love to baptizing you. We're celebrating this deliverance from sin and death, heaven breaking into someone's life. <clears throat> yeah. So honestly, I'm so excited for the first set of round of baptisms that we do. I don't know when it will be, um, but I'm so thrilled because we're going to go all out. We're going to party. It's going to be great. You ever thought about like Christians really should throw the best parties in the world? Like oftentimes, I'll be honest, most of the Christian parties I went to, um, yeah, just kind of as in, in my, the early stages of, of, of my uh, following Jesus, they were so boring. They were so lame. There wasn't any celebration. There was like, but think about it. We have more to celebrate than anybody in the entire planet. Like God has intervened in our life and redeemed us from sin and death. Like we should party all the time. And don't misunderstand me. When I say party, I don't mean like drugs and like getting drunk. I mean like enjoying each other deeply and celebrating the, the victories in our lives uh, dramatically even and, and getting really, really, really excited and focusing on the blessings instead of being discontent with the things that we don't have. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God command the people of God to celebrate. Like, when was the last time someone told you, you need to go celebrate? God cares about celebrating because we have so much to celebrate. So let's throw the best parties with the best food, with the best drinks, with the best desserts, and, the, and, and honestly, the deepest relationships. We should, we should party hard. Okay, baptism is an outward sign of an internal reality, and we celebrate it, okay? So if you haven't been baptized, we'd love, love to baptize you, okay? Um. Really quickly, I do want to say this. If that is you, and you've just kind of been thinking about baptism, um, maybe you've also been thinking along the lines of like, like you don't want the attention. Like you don't want um, people, like you don't want to be, the, you don't want the spotlight. You know, you don't want the attention. Um, you need to hear me say this. Like, you are valuable. Like your soul was so precious that Jesus was glad and willing to be nailed to a cross for it. Like you're valuable. You need to hear me say that. Your salvation 
is worth celebrating. And frankly, you're wrong if you think otherwise. You matter. And celebrating Jesus' work to save you is really important. Okay, baptism aside, number two. The only hope for unity. Look back at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul is saying that the gospel of Jesus, it unites every kind of person. Okay, and he deals with three specific barriers to unity that we face even today, even 2,000 years later, okay? The first barrier is the racial barrier. It causes division. The second is the class barrier, okay, socioeconomic. And the third is the gender barrier, okay? The ways that divide people. <clears throat> Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel totally levels the playing field. There isn't like a spectrum of good to bad. Like, you know, you're here and I'm here and Hitler's here and Jesus is on that end. That's not real. It's like the perfection of Jesus and everybody else who rejects and rebels against him. The gospel levels the playing field. It says you're so bad, you're so wicked that God had to die for you. The cross makes, it, Jesus dying on the cross makes us, it outs us all as sinners. He had to come to redeem the world. That includes me, that includes you. That's the bad news, but the good news was that he wanted to, to reconcile you to God. Okay, that's, that's the gospel. It levels the playing field, okay? And think about those barriers. The racial barrier, the class barrier, the gender barrier. Each, in each example, people are wearing a different uniform. Black, white, brown, rich, poor, middle class, male, female, these are areas of intense division in every culture. I don't care where you go. I've been to like something like, f I think four or five of the continents. Everywhere I've gone, these are still in place. These barriers still divide people. Unity is still lacking. But the cool thing is, the gospel levels the playing field. It says that no matter what identifies you in your life, no matter what you find your identity in, in your worst moments and your best moments, you're a sinner whose only hope is the grace of God. It literally lumps everybody together. They're all just as desperate, but they're all equally loved. Do you see that? <clears throat> it says you're a sinner whose only hope is in the grace of God. The gospel it kills racism. It destroys it. Because the gospel says you aren't better than anyone. You need forgiveness and grace just like anybody else. The gospel kills classism and sexism because a person's value is not determined by their bank account or their gender. It's determined by Jesus' willingness to die for them. Only the gospel can truly unite people. It's the only hope if you want to see unity. Because what will happen is you'll have people that lump together. I mean, think about even the... I forget who said this. I think it's Martin Luther King who said that um, Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Like Sunday morning at 10 a.m. is the most segregated time of the week. Like even in the church, it's very segregated. It's very divided. It's very like, there's, it lacks unity. It's I want to be with the people that are like me. And I understand that. We all operate that way. <clears throat> but the gospel changes us. 
I mean, think about it. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation are going to be, when Jesus comes back, eternity is going to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, holy, 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 together, united in that. It's beautiful. The church is unlike any other community, any other community, because it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, gender. Like, listen to me. This isn't like separatism. It's not like, Paul's not, um, he's not advocating sameness. He's not saying like, oh, gender doesn't matter. Or, or your race doesn't matter. No, no, no. He's talking about celebrating unity amongst diversity. Are you tracking with me? It's amazing. You want to freak people out? You get, pe- you get people of a different race, drastically different race, and different culture. So different race, different culture, different age, different stage of life, and different gender. If you throw all those people together, I, I guarantee you the outside, quote, the quote-unquote outside world's going to go, I've never seen anything like that. And if they, if they deeply love each other, even more. That's God's plan for the church. That's my prayer for Restored Temecula, for as long as God will have this community being uh, operating in existence, that it would be a, a, a diverse but united people that love each other radically, love their city radically, and love God radically. Only the gospel can truly unite people because it gives you a uniform that doesn't divide. You see this. It brings all people together. Okay, everyone's wearing the same uniform. Let me skip down on my notes here. So, if we want to see unity in the different areas of our lives, if we want to see unity in our city or in our valley, what's the answer? Participate, come on. What's the answer? Thank you. The gospel, like, that's the answer. If we want to see unity in our city, the answer is the gospel. If you want to see unity, like, in your workplace, what's the answer? The gospel. If you want to see unity in your family, the gospel. If you want to see unity in your marriage, the gospel. And listen to me. Hear me say this. If we want to see unity in this church plant, the gospel. It's the foundation. It's everything. It will unite us. It will. It has the power to unite us. <clears throat> and I want you to notice uh, one more thing here. Oh, I already talked about this, this idea of, um, yeah, it doesn't teach sameness. It literally celebrates um, unity within diversity. Okay, so let's talk about the last thing, the sending God. Look at verse four in chapter four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This tells us that God sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's ascending God. He sent Jesus the Son, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. We know this, this is review, but it's beautiful to talk about. Jesus was sent to be our substitute, to redeem us from the dominion of darkness, to, 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 to like rescue us, to redeem us back to God. Okay, he identifies with you. Okay, think about this. Um, Philippians 2.7 talks about um, how God emptied himself. 
He took on flesh, left heaven, he emptied himself, and he took on flesh. Those of you guys that are with us on Wednesday, we kind of talked about this a little bit. It's, it's this idea of fully God takes on the limitations of humanity. So he takes on like, the limitations of being a man. He can't be in one place, or he's stuck in one place at one time. He has every limitation, and he faces every temptation that you and I face. Here's why I tell you that. He knows how you feel. When you're overwhelmed with your kids, he knows how you feel. When you just want to sleep, he knows how you feel. When somebody close to you has betrayed you, he knows how you feel. When you lose someone, he knows how you feel. He's not distant. He cares and he identifies with you. The reason he empties himself, he takes on those human limitations, is so that he could fulfill the perfect demands of the law, of obeying God. He could fulfill the perfect um, uh, demands of the law in your place. So he could pay the perfect amount of the debt that you owe for your sin. Okay, granted, like, think about it this way. If, if he had, if, if he wasn't fully man, again, fully God, fully man, if he wasn't fully man, you know, he could just, he has all these God powers that he can access at any time. He's not facing the same battles that you are. It's not an adequate substitute. But if he faces every temptation that you would face and experiences the brokenness of a sinful, fallen world in every way that you have, then he's the perfect replacement for Joey. He's the perfect replacement for Erica. He's, he's the perfect substitute. You tracking with me? <clears throat> so Jesus was sent to secure our legal condition as sons so that God would adopt us. Okay? It's, like, it's like an objective truth. It's, it, that's what it is. He, he came to secure something, legal status. Okay? It's true regardless of how you feel about it. Okay? In the same way that my daughter Amelia She's my daughter, whether she feels like it today or not. It's just true. She's my girl. All right, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, it was, it says the Holy Spirit was sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You ever see a, a young kid cry out for daddy? Why are they crying out? because they deeply feel. Even if it's something good, even if it's something great, even if they're excited, even if they're not excited, even if there's pain, they're crying out, Abba, Father, you ever seen that? This is telling us that God sent the Holy Spirit to connect the dots between our head and our heart. He enables us to feel the love of God to experience the gospel, not just as a concept, not just as an idea, but in such a way that we cry out, we feel it, we experience it. Um, last month, I was in Minneapolis at a conference with some of the guys who were with us. And um, I don't usually go to the kind of the big Christian conferences. I usually will only go if there's like a relationship um, with, with leadership, but I went, and I honestly, I was excited, and it was good, and it was good to get time with the guys, and God really spoke in some cool ways, and ministered to me, but the biggest standout from the trip for me was there was an evening where um, there was some worship time, and we're in this auditorium, and it's full of people, okay, and 
this is going to show you how superficial I am and how jacked up I am. So you can judge me if you want, but please don't. Uh, we're in this room, and the music was really well done. The people seemed like their hearts were totally in the right place. But stylistically, it was so white. Like it was so white. And I, I know that sounds weird, but like I just, I wanted some like rhythm. I wanted some like drums and like, yes, I want. So this is me in my sinful, disgusting mind going like, ah, this is just kind of like stylistically, I'm not feeling this. But, and then, and then I felt convicted. I'm like, no, but God's worthy of my praise. Like he's worthy of my voice no matter what the surroundings are. Like I'm going to praise him with my voice. So I'm singing and I feel like God says, stop singing and just listen. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I stand, I'm standing there, thousands of people around, and I close my eyes and I just start listening. And the Holy Spirit just wrecked me. The love of God for me personally is bringing things to mind of all the, way, all the ways he's redeemed me. Like that Jesus' blood was for me. Like I just, I, I'm not joking, guys. I stood there like this with my eyes closed, like crying hard tears in an environment that is the complete opposite of what I'm like, enjo- of what I would enjoy and what I would choose. The style didn't matter. I just sat there and received from the Holy Spirit who helped me to feel my adoption, who helped me to feel that God chose me and he loves me and he redeemed me and that the old me is dead and the new me has new desires and that he enabled that to happen, that the Spirit's been actively at work in my life from, the time, from before I was born. And I stand and I just wept. You could ask the guys that were like with me, they were like, what, what's wrong with him? Like, is the music that bad that he's crying? Like, no, the Spirit filled my heart in that moment to accept experience and feel God's love. Are you tracking with me? That's why the Spirit was sent, so that we could feel and experience what Jesus had accomplished objectively to be true, okay? So, I have to ask you in love, my friend, when was the last time you felt God's love for you? Not just like studying your Bible. I love the Bible, When was the last time you felt it? When was the last time you just adored him in all of his glory, the creator of the universe likes you. The creator of the universe is pleased with you if your trust and faith is in his holy son, Jesus. When was the last time you just adored him for his beauty and his kindness and his patience with you? That he's never given up on you? He doesn't hold your past against you? He'd willingly die for you. When was the last time you just adored the beauty and the splendor and you're just in awe of him? One of the things I feel like God's teaching me this week as I was prepping for this is like the Holy Spirit's waiting. 
He's waiting. He wants you and I to see the beauty of the gospel. Nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. He wants you to feel God's love for you personally. I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. You guys can come on up. Like, think about God. Think about him in all of his splendor for just a moment. I know I have like a face mic on and I'm talking to you and it's from this slightly elevated stage and we have like, just take a moment where you are. That's why I love intimate settings like this because it's informal. Like, think about God's love for you. Or even before that, think about how holy he is. For all of eternity, or as long as, I don't know how long he created, I don't know how far ago he created the angels, right? But as long as they've been existing, they haven't moved past holy, 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 oh, oh, you're amazing, you're worthy, oh, you're worthy. Like, the creator of all things, our entire universe. Think about like a leaf doesn't fall from a tree without him knowing it anywhere in the planet. Like, I don't even know what I had for lunch yesterday. But he can manage it all. He created it all. Think about the bigness of God. And then consider the reality that that God put on flesh that God put on the uniform of humanity so that you could put on his righteousness, the uniform of heaven. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It never stops being good. Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. It's the best news in the world. So my friend, what uniform are you wearing? Do you wear different uniforms on different days? Paul tells us that the uniform that the Christian wears is Jesus himself. Doesn't get more beautiful than that. So often, one of my least favorite things about being a pastor is watching people struggle, and specifically in the area of like self-worth. Like, can't tell you how many ladies have struggled with eating disorders because they think that their worth is wrapped up in their body image. But the God of the universe put on flesh. Like, because they were so valuable to him. Like, me and Andy were talking about just finding our identities and what we do. Like, if somehow I screw up sometime because I'm a person, I'm a human, that my value just plummets. And that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Like when I, I gave him nothing, he didn't get anything out of this. Like our relationship, he gets nothing. Like he, he does not, like how is, I don't want to be a heretic. He, he wins, but like in our relationship, he doesn't like, I'm not really giving him much. He doesn't get much out of it. Verse six is beautiful, man. It says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit 
into your hearts. My friend, if your faith and your trust is in Jesus, the status that you've always wanted is already yours. The, the, like the value, the status, the privilege, you already have it. If your faith and your trust is in Jesus, you already have it. It's yours. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that even if your faith isn't in Jesus, guess what? He offers you a new uniform. His perfect, holy, blameless, righteous, beloved, all by his grace alone. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. He's not waiting for you to be the perfect mom or the perfect dad or the best friend or the perfect employee. He set his affection on you. All you do is receive and trust in that. And the result is a new creation. He come, the spirit gets sent in you. You feel the love of God and he transforms you. And now you start behaving in ways that Jesus behaved. You start to desire the things that Jesus desires instead of the things that old Tom used to desire that hurt him and hurt other people. God accomplishes our salvation through sending Jesus. And then he sends his spirit so you can feel it. That's the seal that you can feel it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to do what I never could, to do what my brothers and sisters in this room never could. God, I thank you that every person in here is eternally valuable to you. Like, they, they matter to you. Like, the air that's in their lungs right now is only there because you put it there. You're merciful and gracious and kind. Man, you're good. Spirit, I pray that you would show us the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Not just conceptually in our head. We want that. We don't want these to be separated. We don't want just like head knowledge or just emotional feeling. We want to be able to connect the dots. And that only happens by the Son of God and the Spirit of God redeeming us. So would you redeem every area of our bodies, every area of our minds, every area of our hearts? Would you... Would you help us to see and hear and feel your love? I pray for areas in people's life that, um, like brokenness in people's lives that they haven't shared with many people, um, that they kind of put back in the closet and they don't, I think it's abuse, they don't want to, um, they don't want to deal with it. They just pretend, like if I just, lock it in the closet and walk away. I don't, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten the truth of the gospel in their heart and, be, and begin to provide healing. I pray for every marriage in the room where a spouse is struggling because they don't feel the love of the other spouse. I pray that your gospel would break in. Break in. And it wouldn't just be like an idea that it would be, I experienced the love of God in my marriage. And therefore it empowers me to extend that same love. Oh, Father, I love you. I'm grateful for your grace. 
And I pray, Spirit, that as we praise you, God, in this moment, that you would minister to us. You would inhabit our praises, as your word says, and that you would minister to us as we pour out praise to you because you're worthy. And I pray these things in the holy, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.